Mean Old Lion Media presents the history of being black. What up, though? Welcome to the History of Being Black podcast. I am Jay Hall. And today, I don't know necessarily if it's going to be our last one, but it's definitely one of reflection. We're going to reflect back on the year 2022 and how everything has popped off since then, right? I think it's a good place to start then the beginning of how I actually came a part of this show. So a friend of mine, we go way back. Her name is Amber. She hit me up with the opportunity and she was saying, hey, listen, there's an opening for you for this podcast. You know, there's a black network called Mean Online. And if you're interested in it, give me a call. I said, okay, because that's how Amber is. She just hits you up <laughs> and then she tells you something, hangs up and leaves. But we need more Ambers in our life, more friends like that. They get straight to it. So I give her a call. She connect me with the producer, a gentleman named Ken, who is the producer you hear me refer in all the episodes every day. You know, this is his brainchild. He's been doing this for a minute. And me and Ken talked, and he talked about the vision that he had and the things that he wanted to do moving forward. And we vibed about, we even talked about our past experiences, what we have done in the multimedia game. We both come from the traditional radio background, and we both had kind of the same ideas of how we wanted to proceed moving forward. And with that, you know, we was ready to rock. And Ken was like, hey, listen, this is how I want to take it. And I was like, yo, I'm totally agreeing with that. You know, totally, totally, totally with it. It sounds real dope because I had been looking for a home of a place in, in a lot of ways to kind of express the blackness, like an unapologetic black platform to kind of, you know, talk about it. Because oftentimes in the word black, it doesn't necessarily get the recognition that it deserves in a lot of ways. It's like people want to always feel like, well, if you call me black, you put me in this box. Or if we're talking about black things, you put me in this box. And it's universal. And my thing is blackness is universal. And I think one of the things that me and Ken agree upon is that we don't necessarily have to give all these perimeters and everything to let you know who we are, because obviously when it comes to black culture, everybody finds it cool. So why is it that we have to feel like we're a prisoner within our blackness, right? That's, that's what I'm thinking. Moving forward, we're getting ready to do the first episode. And one of the first things that happened is that the Oscars is Will Smith slaps Chris Rock. Okay, right there on live TV. I remember I was actually working a contract job in Philadelphia, mind you. I was in Philly. Me and Ken had talked, I think, like a day before, watching the Oscars. Oscars is being black, being what it is. And then all of a sudden, Chris Rock comes up and he makes a G.I. Jane joke about Jada Pickett. Now, Jada has been very open and honest from Red Table Talk and even on her social media about how she suffers from alopecia, okay? So when Chris Rock made this joke, Will Smith walked up there very smooth. And at the time, as you're watching it, you're thinking this is part of the, the gig. Now, I didn't necessarily think it because I saw how Jada was looking. And then Will just goes up there and bam, slaps Chris Rock right there on live TV and then walks back down. And Chris Rock, as we all know, it's like, yo, it was a G.I. Jane joke. And then Will Smith yells the infamous, keep my wife's name out of your mouth. Now, everyone was feeling like it was staged at first. It was, Twitter was going wild. Black Twitter was going crazy, right? But they kind of find out it was real. And also, I hit you on another note. For those of us that had just read Will Smith's book, Will, it wasn't surprising because Will had talked about how for years he had pretty much been fake. He had been someone who had been putting on a facade, a front, and that facade in front was the Will Smith character of being a very likable guy. 
someone that everyone loves, someone that is commercial friendly, box office, white people love, black people love, rainbow, everybody loves him, but it wasn't his truth. And then he talked about how when he turned 50, he was going to start shedding the layers of that facade. And he wanted to start living his true self. So for someone like me who read that book, when I saw him go up there, I felt like the Chris Rock thing was the last straw. It was the camel's back being broken in front of everyone. Now, there was all these conspiracy theories and all these people feeling how they was feeling. It's Jada's fault and this and this and this and this. But in all honesty, whatever debate you want to have about a man defending his wife or you can't take a joke and things of that nature, I think the one thing that got lost is that we witnessed a very grown, successful man having a breakdown on national TV right there in our eyes. And it was mind-blowing. And it set off debates for what, even up until yesterday or still, people still talk about that. Now, Chris Rock has only talked about it in his stand-up that he has been going on tour with and apparently is going to be in a special. So we're going to hear his side because as of right now, we haven't heard his side. But man, talk about how 2022, you know, kicks off in a real way, even though that was, I think the Oscars are in April or February, whatever. But for me, that's the earliest memory I have of what sticks out to me, unfortunately in 2022 but the reason why i bring it up is because it happened before my first episode which aired in june and my first episode that aired in june i introduced myself to you I talked about my background you know everything i just said those of you who's been listening you know that you know my background in radio and being a writer and trying to be someone who wants to be a voice but i started off the first episode telling you the story of a big homie of mine named rich and I tell the story about how Rich was someone who was in my life, who walked me to school every day. He was about nine or maybe 10 years older than me. He walked me to school every day. He cut my grandma's grass. Whenever my mom needed him for something, he was there. And he just volunteered his whole livelihood to me. And I talk about one of the most significant memories of Rich, the big homie, in my life is how there was a woman who just moved on our block. Her boyfriend was beating her. And Rich and his brother went down there to tell that man, if he put his hands on this woman again, they're going to have to answer to him. No gun, no nothing. And he points at me and he says, if I ever see or hear about you putting your hands on a woman, you ain't a man and I'll F you up myself personally. Now, mind you, Rich gave me a lot of advice. I loved him for that. And when I finished speaking in that episode and talking about that memory, you know, I hadn't talked to Rich in just about maybe three years. Last time I saw Rich, I pulled up on him. My mother had got his number, you know, I rode up on him. And, you know, the people that you kind of grew up with in the hood or whatever neighborhood you may come from, especially around the way on the block, you kind of casually lose each other's numbers here and out. And you always want to send a word through the wire that you can contact somebody. And so Richard found his way back into my life maybe about six or seven years ago of just off and on, right? Nothing, no big deal. You hear about somebody and this and this and this. So it had been about three years. One time I, I DM'd him on Facebook. He really wasn't somebody that was active on Facebook. A lot of people, you know how that is. They don't really understand the social media thing of a certain age. They're like, what are we doing? Why are y'all putting y'all business out there like that? And a couple of times I DM'd him and I didn't hear from him. And I ain't really sweated, honestly. When I recorded that first episode, I gets off the mic, tell Ken, thank you. And I'm, I'm feeling like, man, you know, let me... Let me find out. Let me let me let me find. Let me send this to Big Homie somehow. 
So I sent it to somebody that was in his family and I put the link up and I said, hey, listen, tell Rich I shot him out on this episode. He might want to hear it. And they hit me up and they say, I'm sorry, sweetie. Nobody told you he died two years ago of cancer. Mind blown. Mind blown. I had no idea. I mean, I was I froze right in my seat. I didn't know what to say. I didn't I didn't know anything. You know, I caught up my god sister who from my block who I talk about a lot on the show. And I'm like, yo, why didn't you tell me? She's like, oh, I'm sorry, bro. I thought I told you. I was mad at her. I, I'm I'm just upset, you know. Later on, the person who I talked to in his family, they reached out to his brother, and his brother and me and him had talked a little bit and you know, I told him, I'm so sorry, man, for bringing this back up or anything like that. And he said, listen, it's good to hear from you. I know how important Rich was to you. I know how important your family was to him. I know you loved him. And I I was so gone by it. You know, I was so blown because the last time I saw him, he was face to face. I hugged him and we was, you know, sharing some memories. But I was on my way back to D.C. He was in Detroit on the block. And we just, we just, he was like a few blocks away from where we grew up at and you know, I just told him how much I loved him and how much I appreciated him and everything. And I, you know, big brother, big homie, you've been there for me and this and this and this. And he was, you know, receiving it. You know, he was like, hey, that's what we do and stuff like that. And and at that point, I had just lost, the last time I saw Rich, I had lost my older brother a few years prior to that, you know? And he didn't know that. And my older brother had passed away from cancer. And, you know, just living out in the life I would say kind of like a lot of us, not, unfortunately, not necessarily looking after yourself as much as you should, right? And a lot of times in the streets, we think that the only thing we got to look out for, or people think the only thing you got to look out for is getting arrested or getting killed. But we forget about that when it comes to everyday things like a cancer or whatever kind of illness you may have, those things come up too. And the street life or working regular jobs sometimes they don't necessarily have the insurance where street life don't have the insurance and a lot of these jobs really don't cover you medically like that and if you're not someone who grew up going to the doctors and everything you'll just let a cough here and there go you know now i wasn't around for my big homie richard's you know illness i was around for my brothers and i saw you know that at the tail end and what it did to him but richard's passing really did a number on me you know it really did I felt a certain type of way, all these emotions that come to me when I think about that, because I think about the times that he was there for me, he was there as a mentor and everything, you know, but be that as it may, I had to get through the situation, which reminded me of a, a highlight of another show that we did with White House correspondent Ebony McMorris, White House correspondent for AURN actually kind of low-key, like a co-worker of mine. You know, I do work for AURN as a journalist and as a writer. And Ebony McMorris, the thing that was so great about her when she spoke about the show is that she talked about the difference between the disinformation and misinformation that's getting out there in the social media world and how people are being addicted and drawn to it. And she broke down the differences, you know, misinformation is false, inaccurate information, but it's unattended. Disinformation is false information that is intended to mislead. And when she broke that down in the importance of what she's trying to do by bringing truth to the masses and representing our people when she's in that White House, it made me think about some of the highlights 
of that type of situation of misinformation and disinformation when I think about Kyrie Irving and I think about Kanye West. Kyrie Irving, as we all know, had put up a link of a documentary, Hebrews to Negroes. And he didn't necessarily want to be accountable for some of the things that was within the film. The documentary talks about pretty much how black people are the original Jews, but it has a lot of anti-Semitic things in there, a lot. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think Kyrie watched that documentary, and I've stated that before. But it was misinformation that he put out. He didn't want to be accountable for it because he was avoiding it. And finally, he came around to apologizing. You know what the deal is, right? But that was an example of misinformation, at least who I believe. Because there's no way you can watch that documentary. Because unfortunately, I watched three hours of it. And I'm going to have to explain to God, why did I waste three hours of my life on that doc? But there's no way you can watch that with the intentions of really trying to hurt somebody. But it was misinformation. An example of disinformation I think about on a higher scale is, you know, our guy Kanye West. Now, Ye is someone who I have reluctantly wanted to speak about. I talk about that on Twitter. I talked about it on this show because by the time you talk about something that Ye has said, by the time you record it out your mouth, he is on to the next thing because Ye is someone that lives to be on the opposite end. It is what drives him. It is what he loves to do. But he is an example of disinformation of everything that he was saying because he literally intentionally goes into a conversation publicly to say things, to stir things up. He tells you he doesn't read books. He tells you he has no knowledge of something, but yet he wants to speak very passionately about it. And you know how long it took for certain celebrities to try to check him because everybody wanted that drop. Everybody wanted that production. Everybody wanted to be cool. Everybody wanted to be okay with Ye. But at the end of the day, what he was spreading was a lot of disinformation. It was intentional. It was something that would cause you to be misled. You understand? And honestly, that's kind of how I felt about the Hebrews, the Negroes documentary itself. But what Ye was doing and going around and saying some of the things that he was saying and saying it to people that he know are going to follow him because it leaves us up to being people who don't feel like we can take responsibility as long as somebody rich says something. Obviously, they're right because look how successful they are. And then we run with it because we have lost our ability to critically think. And Ye is dependent on that. And that was something that really stood out to me as far as in 2022. The whole like, misinformation campaign and, and how we go and everything like that of that nature. A couple other episodes that stood out to me as far as in 2022, when you think about that, of misinformation and all these other things like that, will be when it comes to misinformation, when it comes to black women. One of the things when it comes to misinformation, when it comes to black women, is how they use their bodies and who they are in society and everything like that when it comes to dating. And there was two individuals that come to mind. One is Cameo King. She's the host of the Good Girl Podcast, one of my good homies. And the other is Rika Robinson, who is the host of Single You Podcast. Now, me and Cameo <laughs> go back in the sense of going back from HU, Howard University. And she's been very successful with the Good Girl Podcast. And we talked about the definitions of tradition and what those traditions do in the terms of how they lean into the patriarchy and how Black women suffer when it comes to under these traditional norms. And when they don't abide by these traditional rules, what it says to them. And the same thing with Rika. And she talked about some of the patriarchy and the sexism she faced in her upcoming, in a radio journey of her being a 
on-air personality for a morning show in Seattle to doing her own thing now and the things that she had to deal with. These women who I had a conversation with very much so not only was it entertaining, but it was informative and it was enlightening. And it was something I was sitting down as a student because the one thing is I try to be someone who leans in and try to be an ally as best I can. I always go into a conversation acknowledging how much I do not know. I never go into a conversation like this or any conversation with the whole bravado as if, oh, I've learned everything I need to know about sexism. I've learned everything I need to know about this and that. But you know what? That does not matter. I'm just going to, you know, I'm good enough. And what I've always had to come to an understanding is that there's always a little bit more that I can do. And when I hear Rika and when I hear Cameo and they was breaking down these stories to me from their podcast and their career and their journey on up, it makes me think about Meg Thee Stallion versus Tory Lanez. Because if you've been paying attention to the trial so far, the one thing that has come up is Meg Thee Stallion and far as when it comes to her sexual activity and who she's been with and who many people she slept with and everything. And all of this news is being broadcasted a lot more than we're actually talking about the shooting. Okay. A lot of it is being talked about as far as who her partners was and her sexual activity, but I'm not hearing too much information when it comes to actual who shot her and this and this and this. And a little bit that we are talking about when it comes to like who shot her, it's kind of just falling on deaf ears. And the hip hop community as a whole, especially when it comes to men, the only male rapper I've seen really stand up for her was Bun B. That's the only male rapper I've seen stand up for Meg Thee Stallion. Everybody else has had what they felt like they had to say. They've all went on ahead and want to be friends with Tory Lanez. They've all had jokes. You think about what Drake said on his song, Circle Local, with his album with 21 Savage, Her Loss. And he says, quote, this bitch lie about getting shots, but she's still a stallion. She don't even get the joke, but she's still smiling, unquote. And then you got 50 Cent, someone who I admire because 50 got the power universe. And trust me, I am addicted every Sunday to watching everything 50 Cent puts out on the Stars app. But even he compared Meg Thee Stallion to Jesse, um, Jesse Smollett, who lied about, as we know, allegedly lied about himself getting jumped, you know, in Chicago some time before. All of these things are coming from men in hip hop and coming from men who feel like it's okay to laugh about a Megan Thee Stallion or to can't take it with her um, shoulders or to look at what her alleged sexual activity as a reasoning for the shooting to happen with no type of sympathy, no type of empathy or anything or any understanding, not even the patience enough to wait on how it plays out respectfully. Even if you don't know and you don't want to take sides, does it have to be expressed publicly how you feel at least until this plays out? Can a black woman at least get that? And what I've learned from the conversation and the episodes with Rika Robinson and with Cameo King is that no, black women don't get that. They don't get those kind of chances. They don't get that kind of understanding. They have to fight for an inch of understanding, which is something that is given to me as a male. And that is the privilege of that. And woo, that is a learning lesson within itself, I have to tell you. Another highlight was something that was very personal to me and I kind of enjoyed it was the conversation I had with the, with the chief, Robert Parrish, the former player of the Boston Celtics. Now, the reason why I kind of got a little joy out of this is because growing up as a child, I hated the Boston Celtics. I'm a Detroit Pistons fan. And Robert Parrish, when I opened up my mic and I said that to him, starting off the conversation, he laughed because he understood it. 
And we knew where we were going from there, okay? He knew how the conversation was going to go. Respect to the chief, but he understood. I drew the line. You understand? And Robert Parrish got that. And I appreciate him participating in that because he thought he was going to come on. It was going to be safe. It ain't safe, Mr. Parrish, okay? It is not safe, okay? I still got nightmares. I still feel a certain type of way. And I appreciate him for coming on. It was a good conversation. If you ever get a chance, you definitely need to check it out. But it also came afterward when the late, great Bill Russell had just passed away. And we talked about how the late, great Bill Russell, who was more than a basketball player, more than someone who was a 16-time championship player for the Boston Celtics, but he played at a time when racism and in Boston, which is not known for loving Black people, and he played in the 60s. Bill Russell, and he, the things that he went through and being an activist and using his platform and doing the things that he needed to do, risking his life out there as he played basketball. It was something about that conversation that me pretty much left me in admiration for those that led me to, led me to have the ability to speak the way I speak now. You know, back then in the era of the James Baldwins and Bill Russells, when they spoke, they risked their livelihood, okay? So if you didn't want to speak in that era, it was pretty much understood because you can lose your life. In today's era, there are a lot of Black voices that are hesitant to speak or speak on certain subjects because they're afraid of losing endorsements. They're afraid of losing being liked. They're afraid of not being able to go to the Rock Nation brunch. My, have times changed. The next highlight of an episode, I have to tell you, was Charlotte Anderson. Charlotte Anderson is the founder of Starting With Today, a nonprofit Black organization that promotes Black well-being and liberation through community programs. And one of the programs that she has is The Shape Up, where they go into a barbershop, Mr. Lee's Barbershop in Southeast Washington, D.C., with a therapist, my guy Tariq. And sometimes I'm there participating in it. And Charlene does a lot of good, healthy work around the community. And she's someone that is very much so wakes up, goes to sleep, thinking about how she can better the Black community. Now, I put a pin in that because it reminds me of the controversy that's happening with Deion Sanders, as you know, who left after coaching HBCU Jackson State University because he got an opportunity to go to Colorado. Now, Dion, when he came in 2020, it was on the heels of when we were all out there protesting. George Floyd had was murdered in front of us, and everybody was out there, and Dion said that God sent him to fix HBCUs, historically black colleges. I'm not gonna lie to you. I knew it wasn't gonna end well with Dion. It's just something about Dion and the and all of his career. Dion has never been secret about how he moves. He's never been secret about how he's going to always look out for Dion in that sense. And he's going to be very unapologetic about being Dion. I knew, I understand that other coaches do this when it comes to going to college. They, to quote Bomani Jones, they promise you a 10-year plan, but they really want to leave at the one or two. I totally understand that. I do. But I think in the nature of how Dion handled it and people being upset about it, they have a right to be upset. What I did not like was the backlash criticism to the critics of, well, if you're not donating money to an HBCU because most black colleges or 90 percent of them or a lot of them are underfunded. 
for several reasons, government, lack of funding, alumni support, all kind of reasons, but also black colleges didn't get the same start or don't have the same existence. Like a Howard University does not have the endowment of a Duke University. They don't have that kind of backing. And people who were saying, well, if you can't criticize Dion, unless you're someone who give money back, I think about Charlene Anderson because she went to Howard with me. And I don't know if Charlene actually gives actual money to Howard University. I'm pretty sure she has, maybe she has not, but to go to a black college, it is bigger than just the check that you are writing. Giving back can be talking to the students, doing what you're doing around the community of the college itself, actually doing work within that. It's way more than that. Just like going to a black college is not necessarily just about being around black people. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than, oh, you're going to this black college because, oh, they got the best school of this or the best school of that. No. That is a plus. And yes, that should be considered. When you go there, you think about the academic part of it. But a huge part of Black culture, I mean, the Black college going there is the Black experience and Black culture within that college. That is the reason why we do it. So to tell us that we need to be giving money back or we can't criticize or pull a certain type of way what Deion Sanders has done, then you're just being someone that is being highly defensive of a celebrity and because you don't know how to articulate your points, you want to stick to the actual money of it. That is exactly what you want to do. And even if you are someone who graduated from a black college and you have that opinion also, that goes to you also. You're so big on the celebrity part of it and how I feel and the highlights of the situation that you're not understanding the sensitivity and why people are upset. Because bare minimum, you should understand why people are upset. Bare minimum, you should. I understand it. And also understand why Dion left. But I also remember Dion Sanders, the player. And I also remember how Dion was always going to be about Dion in the end, respectfully. But two things can coexist. You can be about yourself and you can help. HBCUs have been around before Dion Sanders. and They're going to be around after Dion Sanders. But don't sit there and dismiss the people out there who are upset about the move that he made and the way that he did it by telling them that they don't have a right to criticize because they're not giving money back. That's foolish. There are a lot of highlights of the history of being a black podcast. Amy Allison of She the People, the founder of She the People, and talk about the importance of the Black woman vote and how many times Black women have saved democracy. <laughs> the value of the Black woman vote. And shout out to Tweet Burns, the episode that was titled A Medical White Man. That title alone should have you want to go check out that episode and see what that was about. <laughs> and shout out to, and all love, go to Judge Angela Robinson. Because our conversation was about Roe v. versus Wade overturn. Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson, the first Black woman of the Supreme Court, and what that means for us culturally as a people. And what does that mean actually for us when it comes to rights? Judge Angela Robinson was able to break all those things down, and I definitely appreciate her. All the love goes to my man, Justin Tinsley, that episode, because we talked about his book about Biggie, quote, it was all a dream, Biggie in the world that made him, unquote, which is a book you should go check out because he really got into the life and the essence of Christopher Wallace, the person, and Christopher Wallace, the son, Christopher Wallace, the friend, and Christopher Wallace, the husband, and Christopher Wallace, the father. And he was able to capture Biggie's 24-year life on this planet and make you feel like the existence of him and understand about the importance and the impact of him more than just two classic albums that he put out. 
more than just him just being one of the greatest of all time. So shout out to my guy, Justin Timsley. Even though we kind of went back and forth on the whole Howard versus Hampton thing, that was still my dude. There are a lot of episodes. Comedian Rudy Rush, big ups to him. Very entertaining episode. I learned a lot from talking to that gentleman. And there are episodes I can bring up all day long. But one of the episodes that I wanted to take these last minutes of really having a conversation about was the episode I had did called How You Living. And in that episode, it was me solo. And I'm talking about how during the pandemic shutdown, how we all kind of came together. We all were kind of checking on each other. But then after the restrictions and everything, the laws got lifted, we kind of went back to being ourselves and not really checking and not really caring. And I go into this whole thing about how we should care about the next person, how we should do a little bit more, and how we shouldn't lose that. A couple weeks after that episode, Steven, DJ Twitch boss, died. And he committed suicide. DJ Twitch was famously known for being a DJ on the Ellen Show, and you think you can dance. His news hit everybody in the face. You cannot go on your timeline without seeing clips of him on the Ellen Show or clips of him dancing. I'm not going to pretend like I followed him a lot. I come to find out that we, him and I had a lot of mutual friends, especially my friends in the DJ community. I'm always seeing clips, even now as I talk to you, of him and his wife and his kids dancing or him dancing and everything and everybody who's put up dedications. All the celebrities that knew him or knew of him. The one thing that I see all of them talking about is how good he made them feel. How good he made them feel. How good he made them feel. But I have not seen, at least for me, what someone is talking about, what they did for him. And I say that because it's very important. And I promise you, I'll get you there. Just give me a time. When you're somebody that is always the go-to person, the person that people go to when it comes to feeling good, feeling a rush, oftentimes it's not in people's nature to check and see how are you doing. And even if we do, that person who's usually providing the smiles, providing the energy, is already equipped to be able to articulate in a way to kind of make you pivot to another conversation. Oh, everything's good. Oh, everything's fine. I'm, I'm good. But back to you. They know how to do it. They're very seasoned at it. And I was just having a conversation to a dear friend of mine. And this dear friend of mine said very passionately, quote, I check on my friends. I see how everybody's doing, but I can't do nothing if you don't tell me and this and this, unquote. And listen, I understand what my friend was saying. What I was trying to tell this friend and what I try to tell in the How You Living episode is that you cannot put the responsibility on the person to always be able to articulate to you what is wrong with them. Sometimes they don't know. Sometimes people are very used to performing. I don't know if that was DJ Twitch's case. But I do know that sometimes when you wake up every day and you're used to putting on an act to make sure everybody know that they're okay so that you can keep a distraction towards how you're really feeling, that is a real thing. And sometimes you can be so dark and things can be so cloudy that you can't even explain what is wrong. You just know something is wrong. And so when I ask and I plead for us to lean in a little bit more, I'm asking about the times that you should take time to understand mental health a little bit more. We Google everything else. Google that. Google some other signs that you can look for. 
Don't just accept an answer. Try to develop some sort of eye, some sort of perception of when your friend might be telling you everything is okay, but the way their voice sounds doesn't mean they're okay. Ask for an activity. Do a little bit more than just asking they're okay. Every single year around this time of the year, we talk about how the Christmas holidays and the New Year's holidays depresses people. We talk about it every single year. And every time a tragedy comes, we go right back to acting very shocked. I don't understand how many more Christmases you need to understand that people in general are already going through it. Added on top of there are people who are still suffering from the pandemic that happened. Added on top of the fact that people are still dealing with their emotional traumas and the things that they grew up with that they might just now come into an understanding about. Even if they are in therapy, even if they are doing self-work, it is not easy out there. When you hear the story of a DJ Twitch, it's tragic. It's very tragic because there's so many layers to it. It's a black man, okay? And from, I read from the CDC from 2005 to 2020, it's been a 50-something percentage increase in black suicide. What more do you need to know? What more does it need to be? How many more examples do you need? Now, I get it. We can't save everybody or do everything. But we can always, and I mean always, do a little bit more. So as the new year come, I'll still be here. Our producer, Ken, will still be here. If there's anything that you learn from these episodes, is to understand that, yes, blackness is not a prison. It's not a box. It is not a short or a small, specific experience. It is an experience that everybody should understand. Everybody should take time to learn that just because we are speaking about blackness does not mean we are not speaking about you. It does not mean that you cannot take time to learn what this black thing is all about, this black life thing is all about. As you go into the new year, I don't know what your ritual may be. I don't know if you're a New Year resolution individual. I don't know if you're somebody that likes to do a dance. I don't know if you're someone that likes to do a diet. I don't know if you're someone that likes to go to a gym. I don't know. But what I'm encouraging and stating to you is that as you go into this new year, it don't always have to be a new year, new me thing, but go into it consciously just a little bit more intentional about putting in the work and the effort to be a better human being and a better ally to the person next to you and beyond. Because it doesn't have to be just in our circles. It can be the homeless individual that you walk past. You don't have to just say, nah, or ignore them. You can give them some kind words. It can be, hey, I don't have it right now, and I'm real sorry I don't, but I wish you well. It can be the inf having information on you to be able to say, hey, listen, I know they the soup kitchen is open on such and such street. It can be something of that when you walk outside your door. It could be something of that when you reach into that friend. It can be a moment of you asking yourself, hey, what friend I haven't talked to? What loved one I haven't reached out to? What question am I not asking? Has the conversation we've been having been real superficial? I encourage you for that. And I encourage you to be a better individual than you was in 2022. And I wish you all the prosperity and all the fortune that comes for you. And I want all of us to live a long, healthy life. That does it for me on this episode. I hope your blackness has been elevated because my blackness has been elevated. As usual, you can make sure you find our episodes on all 
of the music programs of Spotify, Apple Music, all the ones I can't necessarily name for an episode of The History of Being Black. Make sure you follow us on IG for The History of Being Black podcast on IG and make sure you follow me and Lion, and make sure you look at the other podcast episodes that are there also too. You can hit me up on all social medias at Hall Society where I give my opinion here and there. As usual, be blessed and successful. Happy holiday. Happy New Year to you and all those good things. And I'll see you right back here. We ghost. The History of Being Black is hosted by Jay Hall. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find the History of Being Black podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast. Find the History of Being Black podcast on IG at The History of Being Black. Follow the Mean O'Line Media Podcast Network on IG at Mean O'Line Media. Get the Mean O'Line Media app in the App Store or on Google Play. The History of Being Black podcast is a Mean O'Line Media production.